Welcome to the Media Mavens Podcast, brought to you by the Evergreen Network. The Media Mavens Podcast is where you'll hear the latest and greatest trends, topics, and tribulations with industry leaders. And here is your host of the Media Mavens Podcast. She is the original Media Maven, Sarah Miller. Hi, this is Sarah Miller, CEO of Access Entertainment and your host for Media Maven's podcast. I'm here today with Joey. What's up, Joey Pirates? Oh, everything is going well on this Tuesday. Everything. And it's sunny, but you're drinking iced tea, which is good to know. Hey, I always have to have my iced tea by me. (laughs) So I'm super excited for our podcast today. We always record on Tuesdays, drop on Wednesdays, but every day is a good day for pizza. And I'm super excited. We have Nick Bogas, who is the owner of Caliente Pizza and Draft House in Greater Pittsburgh and the author of The Pizza Equation. Nick, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Sarah and Joe. I'm happy to be here. I still hate introductions. I just want to jump right in. (laughs) There's so much to chat about. Go for it. (laughs) I love it. So like, okay, so just a preference, I become the most amazing cook through COVID. I mean, I haven't mastered the pizza pizza thing yet, but um, I got the Italian thing down. But I'm excited you're on here because, and I don't know where to start. I know we have a lot of questions for you, Nick, but let's talk about, I know we have your podcast and I want to talk about the book, but let's talk about the Pizza and Draft House. You're in Pittsburgh. Are you guys fully open right now? We're at uh, 75% and June 1st, we go to 100%. Ah, it's like here in California, June 15th, everything's open again. Now, and you have five locations, correct? Five, and we just inked a deal on Monday for two more by the end of the year. Congratulations. Where are they all located? They're all in the greater Pittsburgh area. So you can get to anyone within about a 45-minute drive or so. Why can't you come out west and open some up here in L.A.? (laughs) Uh, There's lots of great pizza in L.A. Well, that's true. (laughs) He's the pizza king of Pittsburgh. Let's just put it that (laughs) way. Okay, I don't know why I'm all about the pizza. I think it's because late in the afternoon, I'm hungry. Okay, but let's check. Why, why pizza? Like, how did you get started? I mean, you like you wrote this book, The Pizza Equation. I want to get into what the book's about. But like, I love that you're a business owner and you know your restaurant's doing well. You're expanding. Like, last year stuck for everybody. But like, this is pizza. Like, I'm assuming during COVID, during lockdown, everybody's ordering. And so I think of the whole F&B industry, pizza was probably the best one to stay afloat during all of that. But like, why pizza? Are you a chef? Do you make pizza? Was it the business part of owning your own chain of restaurants? Like, tell us how you got started. So I think I think in reference to COVID, everybody just wanted a slice of normalcy. And who does that better than the pizza industry, right? Uh-huh. And then when you talk about like, why pizza and uh, how pizza, I started as a delivery driver when I was 17 years old. And I just fell in love with the team atmosphere of the pizza industry. And I stuck through it, through thick and thin. You know, as my journey grew, I started wrecking a couple of cars as a delivery driver and ended up inside being a manager and a cook and really worked my way through that chain and through that process. And really everybody looks at Caliente Pizza and Draft House. We're close to $10 million in sales per year. It was founded by myself. We have no partners, just my wife and I. And everybody looks at it as an overnight success. But the pizza journey really was a 16-year journey before I opened Caliente Pizza and Draft House. I worked a lot for Domino's and Papa John's. So I learned a lot of uh, different strategies and structures and procedures, P&L, stuff that really helped me when I finally got that opportunity to go out on my own. 
Nice. Okay. So you're, so you're not, you're just a business owner. You're actually making your own pizzas as well. Oh yeah. We make, we make everything in house. We make our dough recipe, sauce, cheese. We actually have been named three time world pizza champions at the international pizza expo in Las Vegas, as well as in 2019, my chef and I traveled over to Parma, Italy and won the best American pizza in Italy in 2019. So we don't just make pizza. We make the best pizza. There oh you go. Guys, okay, so I'm doing our chat about this. Okay, so what is more important on the pizza? The, the crust, the sauce, or the toppings? It all depends. Are you are you a, a saucy girl or a cheese girl? Or do you do you love the toppings? I think it all comes down to what do you really like? Or maybe it's the crust that, that you judge a pizza on. Yeah. I think everybody usually judges it on. Those three things are the sauce, the cheese, and the dough. Those are the three things you judge on. Yeah. But I think I, each one is, is equally important. We're not going to ask you for the secret sauce. I make the best Sunday sauce. And I know being Italian, you'll get that. I make the best Sunday sauce, lasagnas and pastas. I have not attempted to use it on pizza yet. I probably should, though. That we make in-house is a, um, we make about five different styles. And one of the styles we make is an Italian classic. It's the grandma pizza, which is back in the day, the grandmas would have some leftover dough for making bread. So they just would throw it out into a pan, take some of that Sunday sauce, put it on there with a little bit of cheese and throw it in the oven. They might've maybe once they put the dough into the pan, throw a washcloth over it and let it rise up for maybe an hour or two before throwing that Sunday sauce on. And then the cheese and, and probably whatever toppings they have left over in the fridge or on the counter as well. And, and that would be the grandma pizza. So we, we sell a uh, variety of pizza called the grandma pizza. Oh my God. I'm huge on the Sunday sauce. Okay. What pizza did you win down in Italy? Like what kind Italy of was called the Mima. My, my chef named it after his, his grandmother. And it was uh, rapini with porchetta and uh, aged Parmesan with a, a wonderful fresh dough that was our dough that we serve in house. Uh, we took all the ingredients over to, to Italy and made the dough in the hotel. Awesome. That is so amazing. It's <laughs> awesome. And so, and okay, so before we you know, move on, there's so much here. The Caliente Pizza and Draft House, like, congratulations. That was just tremendous. And you guys have, for everybody listening, I know that includes you, Joey, that yeah. you guys do craft beer as well. Yes. Are you guys brewing your own craft or is it just other companies you're importing and bringing in? So really what happened was when we started Caliente back in 2012, everybody opens up that opens the pizza shop and says they have the best pizza. Well, we, we didn't do that. I said, I don't want to be that guy. And what I did was, I went ahead and realized that if we were going to get customers to fill the seats, we needed to go after the craft beer market. So we immediately got rid of our 10 taps and went to 20 and started searching out these kegs that people would just flock to. And I did a ton of research to learn about craft beer and learn about the breweries. And, and the thing was, is the pizza makers, they put so much pride into their dough or their sauce and how they make their pizza. And the brewers do the same thing. They put so much pride into making their own beer. Yeah. So we thought it was a, a natural blessing and a natural partnership with craft beer and pizza. So we really focused on getting the absolute best beer from all across the country. And we did that in the very beginning for, for 2012, 2013, 2014. And before you knew it, we became a craft beer destination in Pittsburgh and known as one of the best craft beer bars. So we really focused on that. And what happened was 
we started to do local firkins or, or cask beer. And we would have the brewers come in and put together a, a firkin of some so one of their beers and then okay, load it up with some lost, crazy hops. You hawks lost or, me at firkins. You lost me. This is, I think, a Joe part of the conversation. <laughs> Joe's shaking his head, though. I'm on Joe's. I'm on the same page with Joe. I can tell. <laughs> so really, it's, it's uncarbonated beer is what it is. So they take okay. a keg of beer. They put our uncarbonated beer in there. And it, what we would do is we didn't have the traditional cask, the, you know, the, the handle to pump. We didn't have the pump. We just set it up on the bar, smack the spout in there and go ahead and, and serve it all weekend long. It would be good for about a weekend. And the brewers would come down and explain what's in it and everything like that. And we did a lot of, rather than having Coors Light girls come on Friday nights to the bar and handing out free merchandise, we bring down these brewers with the big beards and they come down and tell everyone what's going on with their beer. And before you know it, one of those brewers became real good friends with us. And he said to me one night, hey, I think I'm going to leave the brewery and I'd like to come bartend with you guys. And, and I see you're building a second store. I'd like to join you. I said, that'd be fantastic. Well, he sent me an email the next day. He says, hey, I know I was drunk, but I really do want to come be part of your team. So that was about six years ago where we got a, a head brewer joined our team, uh, Matt Moniker of the Church Brew Works, and he's still with us today as our beverage director. So he really has helped design our, our beer program. And one of the things that we would do is we would go, and he was first, we would go to the Church Brew Works and we would brew a beer, the Caliente team with Church Brew Works, so we'd make a collaboration beers. You hear a lot about collaboration beers with yeah. different companies making collaboration beers. But at that time, you didn't hear too much about restaurants making collaboration beers with breweries. And to, to date, we've made 12 different beers with the breweries. And then we would release them and then they would be special only to us. And we'd promote the heck out of it and just pack the place. So we've, we've had our hands in craft beer since uh, the inception of Caliente. Interesting. Gosh, that is interesting. Where have you been all my life? <laughs> I used to actually used to work for a small local chain as a delivery boy. They used to call me Pizza Man. So let me ask you, how hard is it breaking into the pizza business? Because you have so many entities out there who are trying to stand out. Like you said, you work for Papa John's. I mean, you, you could swing a dead cat and find a Domino's in many cities. How hard is it to make that one place stand out? Well, it's it's like any industry in, in a sense that it, it is difficult if you don't know what you're doing. I think the more expertise that you have about it, the better chance you have of being successful. That's why I say everybody looks at us as an overnight success because we burst on the scene and had five stores in six years. And everybody was like, wow, where do they come from? But really, like I said, that journey was was 16 years. It was uh, 90 hour work weeks ups and downs, missing, you know, every family function there was for, for just about all of those 16 years. So there's a lot of work that went into to really defining and perfecting the, the craft, which is pizza. So it, it took a long time, but at the same sense, when I got the opportunity to do it for ourselves, I was able to do it relatively quickly. So I think it is difficult for anybody to break into an industry that they're not familiar with. But they say, you know, how many years, 10 years and you become an expert at something or or how many repetition. And and that's what it is. It's just repetition in anything that you do in life. If, if, so what is your like for people who are listening and everything, Nick? I mean, we I mean, we all know, you know, execution is critical in any business. But like sometimes you kind of kind of question because if you have the right product, the right technology, the right vision, you could get funding to bring the people in. But I do you feel it's more important 
to have the business skill sets you can run anything success successfully? Or is it more important to have the talent and the vision? Like, you know, pizza, but you're also obviously a very good businessman. Do you think if you didn't, if you had this passion about pizza, you want to have your own brew house, your own you know, pizza draft house, but you didn't have the background, the business acumen from your history, would you have still done it and been as successful? Or do you feel there's like a hybrid of having both to really elevate success for anybody going into the restaurant industry? I think the most important skill you can have is communication. And that's communication with your team around you, the communication with whether it's the bankers, the accountants, um, the lawyers, communication with your customers, communication with with your sales reps, your distributors. I mean, it's just, it's all about communication because there's a lot of different things that come up in, in business every single day. And a lot of it's how you react to it is going to be the results that you get. So you have to be a clear communicator and a team builder and a leader. And I think that's where a lot of our success has come from. As a young kid, I have three brothers and we live next door to a youth foundation. And I was a skinny beanpole, which, which equates to one thing as a kid. And that's, that's the coach. And we would have the younger, my younger brothers. I was their coach of their floor hockey team, their soccer team, their flag football team. And I would have these extra practices for the kids when I was 13 and they were maybe eight and nine year old kids. And uh, we'd have extra practices and I teach them strategies. I learned from watching on sports center. And before you know it, we'd, we'd win the league and be the champions. And then, you know, baseball was real competitive, but that was what the dads taught. But they realized that I was such a good coach. They let me be the third base coach and, and keep score. The kids really rallied around me. And I built a lot of young leadership skills at that community center that I didn't even realize till later in life, but it was so important. So really, you know, whether I know how to make a great pizza or I know numbers to from here until forever, the most important skill that I've been able to craft really has been the communication and leadership skills. Interesting. You talk about communication and you have yourself a podcast. So it's the Business Equation podcast. Talk about how that that is going and what is your focus in that other than just business? Sure. So really what happened was I wrote a book called The Pizza Equation, which you alluded to in the beginning. And it was something that I always wanted to do. In high school, I was on the school newspaper. I always loved to write. And I decided it was time to go ahead and, and write the pizza equation. So when I wrote the pizza equation, I wanted to get it out and really push it. And, and they say that, you know, when once can you, you write tell, a book, Can you tell us what the pizza equation is about first? Sure, sure. Because, so because cause we're looking it up, but I want to make sure people don't understand. It's not a recipe book. So we want to make no, sure it's not know. a recipe book. It's more, <laughs> it's more my journey into the pizza industry. It's for anybody that would be thinking about opening up a pizzeria. It's a great book to read. It gives you the insight of what it really takes to be successful. It has some tips and tactics that I've used along the way. And it really puts together the whole equation of what it takes to be successful in the pizza industry. I learned that once you write a book, you should shamelessly plug in for the rest of your life. And that's where I started going on all these different podcasts. And as I did that, I said, you know what? I really enjoy this medium. I enjoy podcasting. And I said, I want to start my own podcast. And at that point, I had risen to the very top of the pizza industry. I'm a keynote speaker at the expos. I'm an industry speaker as far as like the different seminars, a teacher. I'm jam-packed for the International Pizza Expo this August in, in uh, Las Vegas. I think I have six or seven courses I'm teaching. So I'm very well known inside of the pizza industry. And I really felt like a lot of the things that have made me successful in business 
would make anybody successful, not just in the pizza industry, but in any course of, of business. So I started the business equation with in mind in the beginning, you know how tough it is to start a podcast. So I start the podcast and I go ahead and the first 25 episodes are all myself about 20, 25 minutes, just nailing, you know, tips and tactics of business, anything. It doesn't matter if it was employee retention or maybe it was numbers, labor costs, whatever it was, I would give, I'd write down about 10 or 15 things and just ram through them in 20, 25 minutes. And what happened was I never really thought I wanted to have guests on, but you realize real quick, one of the reasons to have guests is to get listenership. So you can have people onto your podcast so that they can, they can hear you. And then their listeners hear you, their tribe, and then they get attracted to you and you gain listeners. So that's when I was like, well, maybe I should start to have some guests on. Well, the first guest was a fantastic one and, and they came after me. It was Jim Rooney, who's the son of Dan Rooney. So an owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah. And he uh, was promoting a book. So he came onto my podcast. And after that, I said, yes, I want to have guests on because I got great listenership out of that particular episode. So I started to go after guests and I was bringing on all these. First, I started with everybody I knew in my network because that's the easiest thing. Who do I know in my network I have on my podcast that would be a great entrepreneurial story. I did that. Then I started to branch out and get some great guests from LinkedIn and from other parts of my network. And then I, I really realized, I was like, you know what, everybody that's coming on, there's so many podcasts about entrepreneurship and they're coming on and they're, they doesn't matter what industry they're in because they're all in different industries, but they're all successful. And everybody started to talk about the same things, gratitude, how much gratitude they give in the morning, their morning routine the books that they read, the way that they train themselves to think. And I realized, and, and I'm a, a definitely a student of the law of attraction and thinking grow rich and positive mindset. And I realized that the business equation, the solution is in the mindset. So we have focused really the last, I'm up to episode 92 and the last 50 episodes have really focused on mindset of an entrepreneur. How long have you had the podcast for? Almost, it'll be two years in September is when I started. So, and you drop, do you drop once a month, once a week? Well, every single uh, Thursday we drop. Okay. Okay. Yep. So, it it just felt like this is where it's really gone. We brought on a lot of great guests. We've gotten a lot of great listenership. Uh, In the beginning, I kind of was treating it as a hobby. I worked on it Tuesdays, and that was kind of it in the afternoon. And I realized that I had said from the beginning, I'm going to do 52 episodes no matter what. I'll commit a year. So 45 episodes, we looked and we said, well, what do you think? Is it worth continuing? And I had to be honest, you know, the listenership wasn't great, but we were producing it. And I said, well, if I'm going to keep doing it, I have to do it the way I do everything that I touch. I have to do it full tilt. This can't be just a hobby. So I got real serious and we went from having 100 or so listens each podcast. And now we're up to a couple thousand each time we drop. And it really was just putting a lot of work in. Every single day, we're doing something on the podcast. I brought in my marketing team. My producer took a more active role and I took a more active role. And we really went after having some great guests on, guests that have really great tribes and going after them and bringing out what made them successful. So even though they may run um, some great organizations and great groups on social media, their fans may not really understand who they are, but I was able to ask the questions of what made them successful and get them to tell stories that maybe they haven't heard before. And we've gotten a lot of great success out of that. I love your story for like two reasons, because like I have an exact 
almost exact. I saw Jill ignite the exact similar story that you have mm-hmm. when I started the podcast. I was just talking to Joe about this before you came on as well. We were just chatting about it because I did the same thing with my podcast because we're a PR firm. And then we um, produced and owned the largest global awards for that honors innovation, leadership and all things mobile tech and entertainment. And so we've really, and it was a kind of a one-off, one-off little event. And I, I don't do anything half fast. I'm at 180% full tilt. And sometimes it's just like, you got to stop and hold back. But I Go big or go home. And so we're now opening our 14th year. So I opened my open. I started the podcast last September. Oh my God, Nick, same thing as you did. It was a hobby with my co-host. Let's chat. Let's just talk about all this bullshit, bullshit. But then I'm thinking, wait a second. We're in COVID. We're a PR firm. I need to build a better platform to tell your voice, your inspiration, your motivation. But it was a hobby. It was like this little bullshit thing. It was fun. And like I stuck Joe in somewhere in October, November. because I stuck him as my voice of God for the MC like six years ago. Same thing on the Emmy. He's never 14 years. He's never leaving. You never leave the family. But now my podcast, same thing. It was just, I didn't go to my network though. I went go big or go home because I've had CEOs of, Big sports teams. We have a big NASA series. I have the most baddest military CIA guys from ABC. And we just created a new network, Global Crisis Watch. But I went like you did. I went big, big people all over. And then all of a sudden, we changed to a bigger network like four months ago. We're six, seven, eight months in. And I was just not complaining, voicing my opinion to Joe like, WTF, this is a lot of work. We've gone way too big, too quickly. You have to take this 100% seriously. And it's like, there's no pulling back. There's no half fast. There's no, hey, CEO of this team or, you know, head guy of Canada, Olympic ice skate, you know, NHL. No, 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 no. We got to keep going and keep building and swelling. And you just can't do it half fast. And so I am starting my podcast. I'm not as good at making pizza as you, but I literally started the exact same way that you did. It was a fluke. It was a hobby. It got too big, too quick. I had to take it seriously because my name is on the line. My agency, these guys are too big in names and I want them to tell their story. And we we are just blowing up and growing. And I love that I am not the only one who started out without, I mean, you probably started out with a business plan and a whole thought process. I had nothing. I just started this during COVID, but I just treated it like I would treat one of our agency clients. And and I see all these things, Nick, these people, well, I did a podcast, but I don't have a website. Or do I do a website or how do I find a guest? I was 20 podcasts in before I realized, oh, shit, I need a website. I better start taking this seriously. So we're still to this day a little further behind on you know, talking to you, releasing you within a week or so, because I was the only one that even some of our networks look at, they're the only one that has all of these podcasts edited that aren't out yet because we're so far behind. But like I learned something new every week. I have the most amazing, fascinating people on that are talking about their inspiration, their motivation. What are they doing in the world? It is probably the most humbling, amazing experience. I mean, you know, amongst a few other things. But it's just funny because I started off with guests and then I stuck a new co-host in. And so this is where we are. So I'm excited. I, I This is the most brilliant story. And I'm so glad you're here to talk about your podcast story because people don't talk enough about it like your business. 
it's not always a grass is green. It's a different shade of green. You got to work hard. You got the business, the podcast, everything you do. You've got to put your heart and your all into it to be successful. Yeah, that's absolutely it. And, and that was the whole thing. Like I, you know, much like you, I don't do anything half-assed. I probably do things more than I should sometimes, you know, anything that I do. But with the podcast, it was weird because I'm so busy with everything else that I was like, yeah, I want to do this. And I just kind of, you know, was doing it just a little bit. But then when I got real serious about it, man, have I really enjoyed it. And it's been much better. And same thing. There was different things where we look back like, man, we, we didn't launch YouTube. And we're like, we probably should launch YouTube from the day one. I would say anybody that is uh, launching a podcast should have a YouTube channel. You know, we're playing catch up there. We were playing catch up with the website and different things there. And it, it, it just takes time to realize exactly how to do it. I mean, there's great courses out there, but you know, that's not the way I did it. I just, I had a friend that I had been on his podcast a lot and I went ahead and it was a beer one for Joe. And, uh, and once I, I was on there a good bit, you know, I asked him to be my producer and we just kind of ran with it. And it's nice to see where it's, where it's gone. But in the last four months or so, you know, as Clubhouse has become a phenomenon, I hopped onto uh, Clubhouse and there's a, a club on Clubhouse called uh, Club Pod, and I became a, a leader there. And there's a gentleman named Steve Olsher. And if I don't know if you know Steve or not, but he had started Club Pod, and I'd been on his podcast probably about a year or two ago. And he's building all these podcasters to be leaders to open rooms. And he let me open a, a room, and he had asked me, like, well, what are you going to teach about? You know, knowing I'm a, a new podcaster, I was like, look, everybody that you have on are, are great. They've been around for 10 or 15 years in podcasting, but you don't have anybody that has just started in the last year and a half that can give that perspective. So I've been on a clubhouse twice a week teaching uh, different things about how to start a podcast. So I think I've got a lot of great exposure there. I've also got a, a lot of great knowledge from being in there and listening to people ask me about how do they start a, a podcast and just going through uh, the different forms of it. And then the Thursday night show that I'm on, I have my producer along with another gentleman. We picked up the first night in our room that's been doing podcasting for 12 years. So we've we picked up so much knowledge in those rooms over the last few months. And that's kind of been something that I've really enjoyed as well. That is really interesting how how it goes. I can't get into Clubhouse. Wait a second, because like I feel like we're all so busy. And because me, besides our podcast, I mean, I'm so busy with this one and other stuff. Like I was kind of sucked into Clubhouse. And I'm just like, after a while, I just, I just, I burnt out on it and anything. So, I mean, but I, I mean, I know Clubhouse is there for a reason. And there's a lot of, like you said, a lot of chats, a lot of stuff. I was asked recently, actually, regarding crypto, how to open crypto and then on the podcast. But I think my big thing that I'm seeing, but I'm not on Clubhouse, so you're placing a lot of different questions is a lot of people, I think how, why we're so successful because we're a PR firm. We understand communications, media. I talk to billions of people constantly. So the podcast was a just a brilliant extension of the agency. And a lot of people have to understand without PR marketing, you, you can't discount that. There's a lot of, it's like a pizza. You got the cheese, you got the crust, you got the toppings, you got everything that goes in to make it a perfect pizza. A lot of things, factors go into running a podcast. So, I mean, my big question is not, is this been more or less because we do marketing so much marketing PR and the branding has been so big. This is what the only stuff that I've been commented on on podcasts, but it is just, I mean, it's, it was, you know, podcasts are just blown up. It's the best thing in the world out there for people to listen during drive time or walking around. I mean, I love it. Well, I can tell you this, one of the best things that I've done for my business for Caliente 
was um, we're in year three of an agreement with a PR company in Pittsburgh. And, you know, I've always tried to figure out what the next thing is in marketing. I would say if I tell you that my leadership and communication skills are 1A, uh, 1B would, would be my marketing skills. And I've always had that knack. I was the guy that built the Papa John's. I was the busiest one. And then they moved me to the next one to fix. And I'd make that the busiest one. And I, I figured that out at a young age. And, you know, we tried tried and it worked. A lot of different things. I was on Facebook marketing back in 2013, paid advertising before, before it was really popular. And really what happened was three years ago, we had a, a crisis in the restaurants. And I used the PR company to, for crisis management. And... You know, it was, it was funny because after that, I was like, well, what do you guys really do? You know, because I called them like, you know, in a panic state of a emergency. And I said, well, we really, you know, tell your story. We're, we're storytellers. And I liked them so much. And, and they comforted me so much through the crisis that we went ahead and started using them. And the boost in sales the first year was just tremendous and uh, really put me at a disadvantage negotiating for, for the contract year two because they, they knew how great it really was for the, for our sales. So, you know, we worked out a great deal for a uh, year or two, but really the way I was able to do it was I didn't just negotiate for the second year. I was able to say, well, what if I sign on right now for year two and three? I'll give you a two-year contract rather than a one-year contract. And we were able to negotiate a better deal that way. So, you know, three years in with the PR company, and then we didn't really realize yet, but that was in the middle of working with them. We went ahead and won the championship in Italy Talk about giving a PR company something to promote best pizza in America. And they just ran with it and uh, gave us some numbers that were just unbelievable month after month in 2019. So really, you know, I think I have much respect for a PR company and what they can do to your business. It's one of those things that everyone's out there thinking, is it radio? Is it billboards? Should they be on TV? Is it how much more money should I be putting in social media? But if you're not telling your story, you're doing yourself a, a really a disadvantage. You're putting yourself in a situation where you need to be out there telling your story. And that's a, a spot where you need professionals to do that for you. Well, well that's, that's the thing a lot of people don't understand me is just telling the narrative. Like, that's just what I love about it. I mean, you're like a dream client. I mean, the thing is, though, it's, there's no there, though. So people think, oh, let's do billboards, let's do social. That's not public relations. Publicity and public relations are two separate things. It's not the same thing. And 90, it was a, I think the numbers now, I just, that's have changed, but literally 92% of most companies fail early three years without PR. It's not, it's not about the best. It's about who got there first right now. And you need to tell your story. You need to tell the narrative, be seen as a leader in your space. And I mean, it's all about like telling that story in communications. And it's just, unfortunately, a lot of people kind of think that social media, we have social media, we wrote a press release. That is not public relations. It goes beyond that. It goes into the experiential marketing, the PR, everything. And so it is so many things that are so critical to success in addition to leadership, who's driving the P&Ls, who's doing the operations. There's so much that goes into it. But, but let me back up and ask you a quick question here. Because a lot of restaurants do advertise on social. You know, through the pandemic, everybody was building in and online sales increased 37% during COVID. We're all stuck at home. We're doing nothing but ordering online. I mean, trust me, I should own stock in Zoom and Amazon right now at this point. I mean, everything is online. Have you guys adapted to an online model at all? Or are you still staying traditional brick and mortar? 
You know, I remember working at Papa John's back in 2013. I remember very clearly it was a, a Sunday night that was by myself. And I hear this noise, beep, 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 beep. What the heck is that? I look up on our monitor where the orders would come in and it was an online order. And that was 2003 at Papa John's. I thought, what the heck is an online order? They didn't even call me. The phone didn't ring anything. And the pizza industry has always been at the forefront of online orders. And even the independents have, have embraced it. And really, you know, we really worked really hard because we realized that our employees and staff at the stores don't have to answer the phones. It gives you uh, less labor, which will, will help out increase the bottom line. So you don't need to labor there answering a phone. So you want to drive them to online sales. So even before COVID, we really focused on online sales. And then during COVID, what I think we focused on really well was the curbside pickup, no contact delivery. Before it was even, you know, it was definitely second nature a couple months into, into COVID. You saw the, the big the big chains doing it, even the the uh, big restaurant chains doing it. But we were first. We were no contact delivery. You know, here in Pittsburgh, March 15th is when everything happened with COVID. We were a week before that, we were doing no contact delivery. We were already doing the curbside pickup and perfecting it. So when it really came around, you know, we, we used social media to market the ways that we were going to keep our customers and our employees safe. And that that's the way that, that we went ahead and, and used social media. That, that is great. Let me ask you, what was your, your thoughts? You, you come up on March 15th when this starts happening. Did you guys all sit down and say, we need to plan this out for a longer time? Or were you kind of like everyone else going, how long is this going to be? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I can take you through like the thoughts here. And, and the thoughts was this, when we really realized what was going to happen, when that Sunday night at nine o'clock, the governor comes on and says, hey, we're shutting down businesses for, you know, we don't even know how long, like you're just shut down probably months. And, you know, the thought was first was, hey, we need to communicate with the with our staff, with our employees. These are people's lives here. This is their livelihood. So we have a, like a WhatsApp group with all our, you know, 150 employees on it. And I put out a really, you know, thoughtful, you know, hey, this is how we're going to go at it. This is how we're going to deal with it. This We're going to listen to the CDC and the governor and take it step by step. We'll be in constant contact through this WhatsApp the whole entire time through however long it's going to last. And then I got that feeling, you know, the feeling when I first opened my business, I had that feeling that no matter what, I won't fail. And that feeling came back because what happens when you get success is you get a little comfortable. And that's what had happened, you know, not in a bad way because the business is running great, but I was comfortable. And I realized that, you know, everything in my world was shaking and I needed to have the same attitude that I will not fail. So I worked nonstop, like morning to the morning, not even morning to night, but like around the clock working on these things, working on campaigns of how to, how to put out the no contact delivery, you know, working on pizza kits. We sell so many pizza kits now where you can get like the dough balls and the sauce and the cheese, take them home and make them in your own oven. We were working on all these different things. We were working on gift card promotions because we thought let's sell as many gift cards as we can right now and making videos. I made a ton of videos reaching out to our customers and, you know, selling the gift cards in different packages and putting together family meals and all that stuff. But at the same time, making sure everybody was safe and the customers were safe and number one, our employees were safe. And then making sure that the ones that were out of work that, you know, we were saying, hey, come into work this week, feed your family. It's on us. Yes, here's how you file for unemployment, not just go file for unemployment, but here's the step-by-step 
six things you do to file unemployment. Here's the link. Walk up people through, you know, here's more hours we can bring you in to answer phones if you're if you're not serving tables and just really working our team through everything we could. So the approach was no matter what, we're not going to fail. And that was definitely like there was a two week period where where it was morning to morning. I just worked around the clock, making sure that we weren't going to fail. And I think that was very important because it set us off to, to be able to to last. And then, you know, I would say it didn't take me long to realize that this was going to last a long time. You know, I, I didn't see it as a three month thing and COVID's over. I saw it as this is going to be a year or a two year thing. And I honestly won't wonder right now today if we're not, you know, halfway through it because you're starting to see the, the after effects of the economy, the job market, what's going on, not being able to hire employees. Like we're not able to not hire employees right now just because of something that's going on politically. We're not able to hire because of what COVID has done. You know, COVID really shut down industries completely. And now when they're getting back up, they're backed up. So they need more workers. There are industries that typically pay higher than the hospitality industry. So they're able to lure people over that were in the hospitality industry before with better paying jobs. So now people are going there because they're so back on production. They got to get the production back up. So they're, they're staffing those, those different shops. And then it's really hurting the hospitality industry. So there's a lot of things going on that I don't know if we're, we're quite through it all the way yet. It's, it's still going to be a good while till we're on the other end of this thing. But, you know, I mentioned in the very beginning, we're, we're opening up a couple more shops at the same time. I feel like you're either growing or dying. So we focused during COVID of building up our middle management so they could be upper management. We went back to finding our procedures and perfecting them. And now we're ready to expand, even though maybe some people aren't ready to expand. We've been gearing up for this since the start of COVID. That's well, great. I, I think per, you know, perception is reality. And because, vac- at least in, on the West Coast, because vaccines are out, because people are now maskless, the governor say no more masks, you're back to 100%, back to normal, go back to work. I think that perception is, oh, everything's great, let's go spend. But I think it's a false sense of economy. We aren't even begun to learn to dig out of where we're at. There's going to be so much more shifts up and down the business. A lot of companies who survived through COVID, the ones who leaned on tech, the ones who showed leadership, who were open about the communication with their customers, their staff pivoted to still do business. These companies, I believe, are going to thrive. They're going to survive through this because they have the right skill set to get through this. There's going to be a lot that aren't going to make it. I just think the shakeout of really where we all land is going to be another nine months because events aren't even open. I know like I have an event in Texas in September and I know there's a fit and health expo. And then I know CES, but you're going to be in Vegas. I think in August, you said on the pizza one, it's going to be a minute before people are going to freely travel and figure out where their new, the new normal is. So the fact that you are keeping your head down, persevering forward, figuring out you're determined to grow and succeed. It's just a tremendous respect for small businesses and tenacity, knowing that you, it's leadership. I mean, what you're showing, Nick, is true leadership on a business level, which is so commendable because I have not seen a lot of leadership. And I have the podcast. We're in PR. I have press calling me. Who's leading? You have the big award. You're the podcast. We're not seeing leadership anymore. As a PR firm, we're constantly calling the press and figuring out the experiential side. Now, when they're calling us, what's going on? It's good to know because I have not seen a lot of leadership, but the ones that I have seen 
the most tremendous people of such mad respect for. And I'd say 80, 75% of these people we've had in our podcast and to talk about that leadership and what their companies are doing. And so, I mean, I just think it's amazing that you're doing the podcast, you have your book. I, I mean, I know we're running out of time, but I have just a stupid quick question. Caliente Pizza Draft House is in Pittsburgh. Can't you, Joe, remind me, can't you order like dogs, burgers, anything from anywhere on the East Coast to LA through like that golden run service to where you can get anything you want, no matter where in the US it is. And I'm talking about, so there's, a, there's a service Gold out belly. There you go. Yes. No. So, so We're not on Gold Belly though. <laughs> so, we, so, <laughs> so we can't get Caliente Pizza out here on the West Coast. No, not, not yet. In partnership with buying the, the two stores or enjoying buying the two stores, we're also buying a commissary building where we're going to start making all our product out of to streamline the consistency and the cost. And we're going to inherit a giant freezer. So there's a chance that we're going to start freezing our, our pizzas and be able to ship them nationwide. So that's something that probably be more focused for 2022. But that was one of the things when I was looking at this deal that uh, the commissary, I thought, you know what, it makes sense because we could open up a whole other line of um, the people in California that want our pizza, we'll be able to ship it to you. So yeah, yeah we're definitely go, thinking that way. Gold Billy, Gold Billy Joe, you got to look up Gold Billy. If you want your favorite burgers or dogs or anything you want within FedEx, 24 hours, heated cold, you can order stuff from on the East Coast to get to you in AZ. Okay. And everything. All right. Yes. Okay. I'll have to take a look at it. <laughs> Just not Nick just canceling his pizzas. But if anybody's in Pittsburgh, Nick, okay, I, I don't know Pittsburgh. Before we wrap, how can they find you? How can they find one? Let's go. How can they find where are the restaurants? How can they get the book? And where can they cut tune and listen to you on the podcast? Sure. So nickbogaz.com. So um, my last name is B-O-G-A-C-Z, like Animal Cat Zebra. And then you can catch uh, Caliente Pizza and Draft House at worldsbestpizza.com. <laughs> Real simple. And then um, love it. grab the book on the pizza equation. So Amazon, you can get the book, the pizza equation. My podcast, the business equation is every single Thursday drops a new one everywhere. You can go ahead and find a podcast. I also am a co-host of the real slice podcast, which is a pizza industry focused podcast. So you can catch me on the real slice everywhere. You can find podcasts. Mm -hmm. And I just really appreciate the time here that you gave me and, and everything that you're doing. And thank you so much. Sarah and Joe for having me as guests today. Oh, no worries. And if anybody's in the pizza industry, they could come see you in Vegas at the, is it the International Pizza Convention? Yeah, absolutely. There's nine football fields of uh, pizza related stuff. I, and really, if there's anybody listening out there that is in the pizza industry and that has not gone to the to the expo, you need to. You, you need to say this is the year you're going to go. I think we started in 2015 and it really has been uh, something that's changed me as an independent pizzeria. It definitely changed me starting to go to the pizza well, expo. So I recommend it for everybody. You out may there. see Meeting Maven's podcast on the media, doing podcasts live from the floor, eating pizza. <laughs> that sounds great. I could hook that up. Pizza, pizza. Then we may have to have you come on and talk about what's going on. And you're teaching different classes there, right? Is it, are they business? Related or are they pizza related? They're they're pizza business related. I have done some demos where they're you know recipe focused, but these ones are um, ones uh, on a better beer list for pizzerias. Ones on hiring and retaining your your management team. So there's a lot of different topics that that I speak on at this show. And you know one of the ways I think you'll like this being a PR firm that I really got known in the pizza industry was writing the book. 
And rather than, you know, handing out a business card, I wrote the book and then I mailed it to everybody I could think of in the pizza industry. So I would literally every week I was, I was sending out 20 books. That was my goal. And I, and I did that for 10 weeks straight. I sent it out to everybody. And when I sent it to the teams over at the ones that run the expo and sent them a big box for their team and personally inscribed them all, that's when I got the keynote at um, the Pizza and Pasta Expo in Atlantic City. And then being able to uh, really focus for seven months on how I was going to give an incredible keynote. After the keynote, there was no no exceptions. You catch the keynote on uh, YouTube. If you just put my name in and keynote, you'll find my my uh, hour-long keynote, but it was uh, tells my whole entire story from start to finish, all the ups and downs. I think a great keynote always doesn't just focus on all the good look at me, but it focuses on everyone wants to hear, you know, what did you really overcome? And I think that's what I went through a lot of what I overcome in life and in the beats industry. So it was a, a really honor to be able to do that. You like Nick, you are truly, truly my hero from a small business standpoint through COVID, the, just the marketing how your head works on what you're doing, the book, the podcast, how you've grown, like how you've told your story. Honestly, like a very impressive person to follow, whether it's online, following you at the shows, your podcast. Seriously, I, I, this has been an impressive. I mean, it's not just impressive because it's pizza, pizza and you have the podcast, but like you are truly like my hair when it comes to leadership, I have to say. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciated it today. Perfect. It was so good having you on the show. So again, this is Sarah Miller with Access Entertainment, me and me of his podcast. Joey, it was good to have you here. I think you're going to go eat pizza and beer. Tonight, I'm hungry now. Let's go. <laughs> Nick, we look forward to having you back again or hopefully seeing you in August in Vegas. But thank you so much for your time. Yeah, glad to be here. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And we'll see everybody next Wednesday. Bye, guys. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Media Mavens podcast. If you don't want to miss an episode or download past episodes, subscribe to the Media Mavens podcast on your favorite podcast provider or on the Evergreen Podcast Network. To learn more about the podcast or our guests, log on to www.mediamavenspodcast.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.